Welcome back to the Colorado Switchblade, coming out of Estes Park, Colorado. I'm your host, Jason Van Tatenhove. Man, I really love making the music for the shows every week. I actually just got in a new new MIDI keyboard. Um, well, I don't have it in. I, I ordered it. But but yeah, just kind of getting into producing that, that music more and more has just become one of my major sources of zen through the week. And uh, yeah, we'll see where it goes. All right. Well, today we are revisiting with the uh, the three women from Ukraine um, who uh, are working to help assist Ukrainians in need. They live here in Estes Park, and uh, it's Natasha Pleshkova and um, the two Irinas. Ulyenko and Lakono, and I'm sure I'm just slaughtering those names, so I apologize now. Um, but I went down. They've been doing every Wednesday. They've been doing a um, a fundraiser, at, and uh, Natasha owns the the uh, the Rocky Mountain Deli over near. It's up behind um, Starbucks in the uh, right on the main drag there in Estes Park. And um, they are uh, every Wednesday, I think it's from 11 on, they, uh, they're giving away free traditional uh, food of Ukraine. And I went down there yesterday and man, it was hopping. You'll be able to hear it in the, uh, the interviews, but there was a lot of people just coming in and out, getting to go orders. And, and there is no cost, but it is by donation. So whatever you can afford to give, they've got support uh, Ukraine t-shirts and giving out candies. And man, it, there was a ton of people there. I ran into to Mayor Wendy Koenig. I've got an interview with her um, talking about things. Um, I touch back base again, touch base back again. Yeah. Um, with, uh, with, the, with uh, Natasha and Irina. Um, and the, if you remember correctly, the very first day of the invasion, I reached out to them and got an interview and, and it was, it was a very, I mean, it was an intense interview because while we were doing the interview, you know, they were talking with their families back and forth via text messages. And they were literally, there were bombs dropping in the front yard of one of the Irina's um, family house. And so we're going to get an update, kind of find out what's what's happening with the, the families, um, what's happening with their friends. Um, and uh, I've got some audio. I also went to the library event last night. They did a, um, a presentation at the Estes Valley Library, like a question and answer after kind of a, um, uh, a, a lecture. Um, and, uh, you know, these are three Ukrainian Americans with deep ties to uh, the Ukraine. And they, they came here. They've been here for a while. Um, came on originally on, like many of our community members, on a J-1 visa. And, uh, you know, 
they've chosen to stay here. Um, and they're from different regions of the Ukraine and have family there. So they kind of get bring a perspective and updates as to what's happening in the different parts of the country. And, um, you know, they're, they they shared their own stories and, and what's happening with their families and then talk a little bit about the historical political perspectives um, of uh, uh, Ukrainians and, and how they feel about the Russian uh, invasion. And, and let's call it what it is. This is, this is a, a war of aggression by Russia. I also have a, a very unique interview, too. I spoke with a gentleman who is here on a J-1 visa who is from Russia. And I met him at the, uh, at the deli during the fundraiser. He was there helping out, cooking, serving food. And he just had, I thought it was just a great, I thought he just had some great insights from an alternative perspective. And uh, so I'm going to include that as well. So it's going to be a longer episode today. And uh, we're going to jump right into those. We're going to start off with um, Natasha's interview, just catching up um, from the last time we spoke with her. And um, so we're going to jump into that. Before we do that, uh, we really haven't started the sponsorship yet uh, for the the movie theaters, but I just wanted to mention, um, you know, and and thank the uh, Real Mountain Theater and the Historic Park Theater for sponsoring this this podcast today. Um, we're going to be talking about some of the movies coming up. I know there are several movies that I want to see, uh, specifically the new Doctor Strange, and uh, I just heard that they uh, they're going to have. Um, a trailer for the new Avatar, um, the, the water world based one. And so I, I'm looking forward to that premiere. As I've said before, you know, movies are really just have always been one of my great escapes from the craziness of the world growing up and, and throughout my life. And I'm, I'm just excited to get back to getting out to the movies. All right. Well, let's just jump in. Let's jump in and start off with this first interview. Again, this is with Natasha Plashkova, and um, she comes from the Kirovograd region, which is a, a smaller village. It is apparently swollen to about three times its normal size, um, just with refugees, because it's kind of centrally located in the country of Ukraine. And so it's it's a bit safer. It's it's pretty remote and a bit safer. So a lot of the refugees coming from the uh, the the borders where the uh, the the heavy Russian invasion has been happening um, have fled to this area. So we're going to start off with that. So let's just jump in and uh, get caught up with what's happening in the Ukraine from a local Estes Park residents' perspective. So. So give us an update. We, we talked to you when yeah. things first started. Um, I mean, with some of the, the, the people we were talking with you with, like there were there were bombs dropping in their front yard. Give us an update to your what's been going on back home and, and then what response has been and what the needs are, how people can help more in the community. What what do you need? How can they help so help fill that need? Um, I am from the central part of Ukraine, uh, Kirovograd region, uh, the village of Novorhangelsk. Uh, my village expanded three to four times. 
Uh, central part of Ukraine is relatively safe because it's tucked in inside of the country, far away from uh, military objects and military infrastructure. So we have been lucky that way. But that's where a lot of refugees from the east and from the south come, um, running away from uh, bombing. Um, my mom still taking refugees into her house and she helps and shares resources because resources are limited. When my mom goes to the store early enough, she can get things. But if she's a little late and comes, let's say, mid-morning, chances are she has to come back. Um, the worst uh, situation is on the borders, particularly the east and the south. The um, Azov Sea uh, has uh, a beautiful city of Mariupol that's a, a large seaport. So they destroyed it almost 75%. And the scariest part about that is that the Russians are creating, so to speak, filtration camps where they take people in, they check their cell phones, they, they check their galleries, photographs, and see if they are pro-Russian or pro-Ukrainian. And the ones who are pro-Ukrainian, they treat them as animals. So, and that's the direct reference to the concentration camps, uh, like they did back in uh, Nazi Germany. So, and that's pretty scary because the Russian troops cannot take Ukraine. The war has been going for almost two months. The Russians, um, cannot take over Kiev, they cannot take Western Ukraine, that's why they turn to violence. So that's why all those pictures you've seen for almost 60 days with uh, Russians bombarding um, hospitals, art schools, theaters, and libraries, that's the real face of the Russian culture. Uh, I was appalled I was listening to the Russian Federation press secretary. He was giving the interview to the British journalist, and he was lying, blanket lie, about when he was asked a direct question, why are you bombing the hospitals? He was lying, saying that the military personnel is hiding in the basement of the hospital, and those pregnant women are the cover-up. Same thing they said about Bucha. When he was confronted, Pesco, Mr. Dmitry Pesco, uh, he was showing the pictures of the Russian tank uh, shooting at the lady riding a bike, and he was uh, making a story saying, those are the makeup pictures created by the agency ordered by Pentagon. So these are the stories they are coming up with. In Bucha, the Russian soldiers raped young women killed a number of uh, young children, and uh, you probably saw those terrifying pictures where, where they were uh, making uh, massive graves. And a number of people were tortured before they were killed, and some of them had their hands and legs tied before they were shot. So that, 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 that's the face of uh, Russian violence. My uh, question, uh, almost two months after, what are you guys doing there? What does the Russia need in my country? Uh, they were calling it a special military operation. 
saying that Ukrainians are Nazi. Russians behave like Nazi. You look at the facts. They were saying that uh, Ukraine is going to join NATO and Moscow is afraid that their neighbor will have the heavy military equipment. NATO is not accepting my country. My country doesn't have, uh, is not eligible to become a uh, NATO member. So what, what are you doing in my country? And uh, I am proud to be Ukrainian. More proud than I've ever been in my 40 years of life. Because we show the world the example of resilience, standing up for our grounds and doing the best we can. So there's a lot of people in need. They are displaced. They don't have enough food, enough clothes or shoes. They don't have enough money. So this is what this whole fundraiser is about, because we are native Ukrainians. We know people directly who cannot buy medication. I was telling the lady here, the table uh, next to us, that the medication went in price two times because of the logistics and the delivery fees. Now Ukraine has to buy medication from Romania, Germany, because there's uh, no deliveries from Russia. But if you buy it from the country that is far away, you gotta pay for transport fee. So that's a perfect example for my mom. My mom is on high blood medication. Now the price is twice more. Uh, people who uh, came with the families, they need housing. They need basic things like blankets, like shoes. So that's uh, fundraising the money. I send ma uh, money to people whom I know directly, my mom including, and they distribute it uh, where it is needed. Either it's medication or money or uh, assistance with the clothes or shoes or other things. And how has the response been from the SS Park community? It has been terrific. And as I mentioned to you, when you first stepped into the door, you were the first uh, media representative who reached out to us on the 25th of February, and you made that wonderful podcast. And that's how we got publicity. So after that, uh, Estes Park News, Trail Gazette joined, and then we jumped into action. When you first saw me, uh, I was scared, I was afraid. I, I thought it wouldn't take too long, and here we are, 60 days later. And, it, 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 and they destroyed the east of my country and the south of my country. There are certain areas that are completely wiped off from the face of the earth, like that Mariupol I mentioned to you. Um, but what, after I was uh, upset and frustrated and depressed, um, I did find the recipe. If I jump into action and do what I'm doing now, it does help. It makes me feel better and it makes me uh, be aware that by contributing, I make it step by step, but I make it better. I, I make it better for myself, for people who surround, and also it's, it's an example. Um, I remember the stories of the concentration camps that I read. And like when you remember Viktor Frankl, the reason why he survived in the concentration camp, because in his mind, he knew I am here to survive. And I am here to serve as an example. My, loves, my life story is to serve as an example that I can do it. 
I am a human. I have my thoughts directed into the right way. That's why I'm surviving and I am doing everything I can. Um, the response from Estes Park community is getting bigger and bigger. Um, people from Loveland reached out to us. We've been to the Foundation Church two times, and we talked to the gentleman from the Tribute Herald. Um, we were published, uh, the interview was published there. And uh, uh, tonight we are invited to the uh, Estes Park Public Library to talk and to take questions from the community to give the inside uh, perspective of what it means to be a Ukrainian who lives in the United States but still have a family back there. Um, so uh, we are lucky that we live in Estes Park. How can people, if they want to give to this cause and, and help the people of Ukraine out directly, what's the best way to do that both for people who live in town and for people who, because I do have listeners that are out of town that are across the country, um, how, what's the best way for them to help out? Uh, if you live in Estes Park, uh, every Wednesday at 11 o'clock, we invite you to the Rocky Mountain Deli, which is located in Stanley Village. Because before we ask for a donation, we want to give something to people first. We want to feed you lunch. We want to tell you about Ukrainian culture. We want you to meet Ukrainians and to know that Ukrainians have never been Nazi. That's why we are here, and that's why we are welcomed by the Ukrainian, by the... Uh, thank you so much. Thanks. Please grab a book. Grab a book. Yes. Please grab a book if you would like. Um, because we want to give first before we ask for something. We want to um, show that Ukrainian culture is worth knowing. Uh, and then you do not pay for food. It's all donation-based. Um, there are people who come every week, like uh, Kathy, who just talked to me. If you are out of uh, state, um, you can always uh, make your uh, monetary contribution by sending a check to Rocky Mountain Deli, or you can call in. You can uh, ship clothes or um, shoes. Uh, we take everything. And is there an address that they would send that to, a P.O. box? Rocky Mountain Deli, uh, the address is 541 Big Thompson Avenue in Estes Park, Colorado. The zip is 80517. And also, please follow us on Facebook. We are Ukrainians of Northern Colorado. All right, so there's our first interview. Next, we're going to talk with Mayor Wendy Koenig, who I just happened to run into at the event yesterday, the, uh, the fundraiser event, not the library event. And um, had a quick chance to ask her about coming out and supporting the cause. So here's that interview for you. Right, so we're down at the Rocky Mountain Deli and uh, supporting the, uh, the Ukrainian fundraiser. Tell us about uh, why you came out today. Well, I came out to support the... Ukrainian people and I was invited down a couple weeks ago and been too busy so today Roger and I came down and they're so generous and I know the money's going to get where it's supposed to go and I just can't believe what's going on in the world today so it's nice to try to help some good effort. And how was, how was the lunch? 
The lunch was delicious. It's borscht today. Every Wednesday, they have a special meal they make, and today was borscht with cabbage, and it was delicious, and we'll be probably down next Wednesday to try try some more wonderful food. All right. Well, thanks for taking okay. the Okay. Thank you, Jason. All right. Now we're going to jump into the interview I did. Same location, uh, but this is with a gentleman who's been volunteering at the Rocky Mountain Deli. Um, and he is a Russian who originally came over on a J-1 visa. not going to release his name just because I don't want to cause any problems for him if and when he goes back home. So uh, we're just gonna we're just gonna let him speak in his own words about uh, his thoughts as a as a Russian on the uh, invasion of Ukraine. How's everything going with uh, with the fundraiser? Uh, well, it's been my I believe second or third time. Uh, so the idea is that Irina started and Natasha. So they start making Ukrainian food at home. And first Wednesday, I believe they made borscht and uh, some kasha. And it was it was just crazy. So we got big crowd and they've been sold out within two hours. So and next Wednesday, so they made more. And that's where I got involved. So they asked me for come over here and help them. Okay. So, and basically I was helping Natasha to, so they, first of all, she went to Costco and tried to find a big pen so she can like make a lot of borscht. And uh, some uh, our friends from restaurants like Raul from Sweet Basilico, uh, he was uh, rent, uh, give us uh, his uh, pens and you know, so we can like, uh, put, so the put, yeah, yeah, put lots of food and some to-go cars because we've been running out really quick. So yeah, and from that point on, it's I believe this is a fourth or fifth Wednesday we're doing yeah, that, so. and people keep coming. I know from Loveland, from Fort Fort Collins down the valley, uh, they heard from somebody that we do every Wednesday Ukrainian food and. Uh, try to raise money for Ukrainian people. So, and yeah, that's how I get involved. And it's really a pleasure to be here and see so many people to come over here and help. It's it's really amazing, so. And, and do you live here in Estes? Yeah, uh, it's been probably, what, 10 years already. Yeah, first time I came back in 2011, and I work at YMCA, so that's how I ended up so in Estes Park. Yeah, I okay, used yeah. to come as a J once, and uh, yeah, I've been here a few summers in a row through a student visa, and after that, I just came and stay here for good. So yeah, it's and it's been really amazing all these years. How, how big is the Ukrainian community here in Estes Park? Uh, I would say I like. I'm personally not separating Ukrainian, Russian, Georgian. Yeah. Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, because it's, I, I'm from Soviet Union. When people ask where I'm from, to me, it's the same country. Soviet right. Union, and let's say people we have from Russia and Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, Belarus. So it's all the same. And I would say probably like maybe around 20 people, okay. something like, you know, plus minus. Yeah. So people just keep coming and leaving back and forth. So, but we have some people who we just get close, close relationship like Irina and Olga, yeah, so, and help each other, and so, yeah, yeah. What, what else would you like to add that we haven't touched on? 
well, uh, I would say, because people keep asking me, so why did you pick Estes Park? And I would say, for me, it's become my second home, because my very first time when I came to the United States, I just got right, it was YMCA and Estes Park. So, and I still discover new people and new places. It's kind of like a small town, right? I would say five, 6,000 people who live all year round. But for me, it become very, like my second home because it's a very close community. Everybody know each other. And everybody, I mean, any, anyone who never been here, I'm really welcome you. And it's really a hospitality town, I would say. Uh, in summertime, we have up to 50, 60,000 tourists every year. More and it's, that. yeah, more than that. I mean, daily, daily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and for me, it's very amazing. And uh, yeah, and people are so friendly, so nice. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm really got a lots of lots of uh, good habits from this community uh, because average age people who live here 65 plus I was really inspired what people doing when they retire they are they still active they are running they are swimming they are hiking they are going creating some clubs I mean they are happy that's how life should be you have to live your life. My professor used to say, life is a movement. As long as you move, you do something, you live in. Once you stop, you, you start dying. So it's always something about activity. And uh, at some point, it's not about money. It's about the meaning, what you do for community. You know, uh, that golden rule, the way you wanna be treated, you have to treat other people. So, and that's exactly what we have here. It's, it's really amazing. And, and just tell us your thoughts about what's happening back in Ukraine. You as someone who's from that area, I know it's a hard subject, but yeah. what, what, what are your feelings? What are your thoughts? Uh, you see, uh, my uh, personal opinion, I'm not actually separating, as I said before, Russia, Ukraine, Belarus. For me, it's still the same. People with the same mentality, with the same culture, same same peace and love. And I believe everybody want to live peace, in peace and love, for sure. And there's so many people who are against that war, what's going on. I still can understand why is that happening. Uh, it's all politicians, I know. Yeah. Resources, land, so they can divide. I mean, I'm kind of stay away, but my heart, it's actually, I don't know what what they have to do, but I'm against the war. So, because people keep dying, while they try to resolve what's going on, people keep dying every day. I'm and that's my, you know, uh, very, very, very sad. And my folks, they're in the central part of Ukraine, and they actually, they decided to stay, not leave, because uh, compared to other regions, that part, it's kind of been affected less let's say, put, put, put in this way, and they're helping refugees who are actually moving from east to west or try to leave country, so they're providing housing and food and everything, and that's why we are sending some money and clothes and food, what we can do to help them and they help other Ukrainians. So, and i hoping that one day people realize that, you know, it should be over. They, because we are, it's, it's a one, 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 one nation, one culture. We are not supposed to be fight each other and kill each other. 
and people understand, but we have to just, you know, keep praying God and just one day hopefully it's gonna stop. That's that's all I can say. It's just insane. So Well thank you so much for talking to me. You're welcome. You're welcome. All right. Well that concludes our interviews at the uh at the deli. Now I'm gonna include the entirety of the the lecture portion, the speaking portion, before they get into the question and answers. Um, I'm going to go ahead and put a link into where you can find the question and answer section, but we're already pushing like an hour and a half in this podcast episode if you listen to the end. And I do suggest you really listen to the end because this is some very informative stuff. But here's the rest of it. We'll have a librarian, adult services librarian, Eric White, is introducing them and kind of the MC of the event. So you'll hear him there at times. And uh, yeah, here we go. And so now what I would like to do is introduce our panelists. Um, and I will actually, so I will actually let them introduce themselves and we can actually see where they're from. So Natasha, why don't you go ahead? Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. And um, Estes Park Library has been the best in um, providing folks with the floor to speak and to connect with the community and um, bringing real things and real people uh, out here. So my name is Natasha, or, or Natalia, that's the uh, full name, and Natasha for short. Um, I am from the very center of Ukraine, uh, Kirovograd region, and I'm from the rural area, so my little village is a little bit far no north from that big uh, dot where Kirovograd is, and then Novorhangelsk. Novorhangelsk, um, it translates into the, uh, the village of the new angel. And um, it's given me hope. And um, the fact that my mama um, decided to stay back and not to come to the United States immediately and help the refugees um, gives me hope that Ukrainians will um, win and it will serve a great history example that you gotta um, stand up for yourself and uh, fight for your grounds. Um, uh, my village expanded almost three to four times with the refugees and displaced, displaced folks who are coming from the very east where the situation was the most challenging or has been the most challenging and also from the south uh, of my country because uh, my area was in white. Uh, on the slide you were showing, meaning that's uh, where the uh, Russians um, didn't touch and uh, didn't. They are more uh, concentrated on the borders and also on the major strate strategic cities that like Irina's Kharkiv because it's so close to the uh, Russian border. And now they were so violent um, near the Sea of Azov, um, the city of Mariupol. Um, they are reporting almost 75% of the infrastructure of the city is uh, gone. Um, so coming back to uh, my um, uh, to my little um, village, um, that's where I was born uh, more than 40 years ago. Um, 
I uh, was raised and I grew up bilingual. I'm fluent both in Russian and Ukrainian. My name, Natasha, um, is um, because of the two famous characters. One is from the Russian literature, um, Nik uh, Tolstoy, War and Peace, Natasha Rostova, and the famous Ukrainian character, uh, folk uh, literature, Natalka Poltavka, a famous singer and dancer. My father gave me this name to make peace with his mother-in-law and his own mother, who were the Russian literature teacher and the Ukrainian literature teacher. So that's how, you know, he met in the, everybody in the middle and gave me this name. Um, the, the point I am making by saying that Ukrainians have never been Nazi. Um, in 40 years of my life, when I listen to the Russian speakers, that's what I'm finding out, that apparently Russians were thinking about us as Nazi. So I'm questioning this whole thing, and um, how can Ukrainians be Nazi, according to Russian propaganda, if we have a Jewish president whose grandparents um, were in the concentration camps and um, his family um, story is about survival. He's alive because his grandparents survived the Nazis. Um, how can Ukrainians be Nazis if majority of us are bilingual, folks of my generation are, maybe my uh, child's uh, generation, not that much, she's a 17 year old, but folks of my age are all bilingual. Uh, Russian was a mandatory language in school when I attended um, university, and Russian literature has always been a part of um, education. So that's what's happening um, 40 years later. I mean, I'm talking about my lifetime, and I am appalled why the labels like that coming to be and why they are being used by Russian propaganda. Can you tell us um, just a little bit about what brought you to Estes Park? I first started coming to Estes Park on the J-1 visa when I worked at YMCA of the Rockies. And that's where I met some of the wonderful librarians who were coming with a story time to Bennett Preschool. <laughs> and um, uh, I was coming for multiple uh, times, multiple summers, I was invited to, because back at home, I, I was a, a teacher, and I had a background in uh, um, education. And then, according to your slide, that's, that's perfect timeline, so 2012, actually, that's when the Ukrainians started feeling all the weight of uh, opposition and propaganda, and us being um, bullied and humiliated um, by the Russian media. So that's the time when I decided to get out, 20, 2012. And I came here and I stayed and, um, hi. Oh, this is the, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, but YMCA of the Rockies was the organization that um, brought me to us this part. Thanks, Natasha. Um, so let me next introduce. Um, so we have two panelists named Irina. Popular so name. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna go in this direction. Um, 
Irina, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, where you're from, what brought you here? So my name is Irina, Irina, in Ukrainian, Irina. I'll answer no matter how you call me. It starts with an I and I'll turn my head around. <laughs> <laughs> I'm originally from Kharkiv. I moved here in 2008. Kharkiv uh, is the first capital of Ukraine, a city of over 2 million Russian-speaking city. Mm -hmm. I grew up going to Russian school. I, till nowadays, I, when I talk to my parents, I speak Russian. We can speak Ukrainian and Russian, but Russian always been my primary language, and we were never ashamed of it, and neither were we, you know, we can utilize both languages, and we don't have a problem with that. Um, like I said, I moved here in 2008, so I remember the Orange Revolution, and I remember how our, one of our former pro-Russian presidents were running out of the country in the middle of the night when nobody would see him and how it was all horrible and terrible. Irina was more touched by the events going on in Maidan in Kiev. Yeah, I'm there. And so um, I came to this country for a better future and to build a better future for myself and going forward for my parents, being able to help them and running away mainly from the that government, pro-USSR, pro-Russian government that they were trying to push on us, where you you have to. I don't. I want to be politically correct. <laughs> you don't have a freedom. That was it. Yep. You. There is no yep. freedom. You. There is some sort of fear was at that time all the time, and maybe partially it is still right now, but that's what we're fighting for. It's not just territory Russia, Russia wants to take over Ukraine. It's about people's choices, people's freedom. It's about what our, you know, people here in America what fought for. It's about what our, uh, our grandfathers and great-grandfathers fought for in the Second World War. It's about you're given a choice and you have an ability to choose and be free in your choice. And that's how I end up over here and I um, came as a J1 student, majority of all of us came. Right. <laughs> and uh, at that time I met my husband and I, my beautiful daughter was born here in Estes Park and she knows nothing but Estes Park. <laughs> she has been to Ukraine several times, she spent the entire summer of there, 2018. And um, <laughs> it's just the country that gave me so much and my parents, even growing up on, well, people try to say that east side of the country is more pro-Russian. Um, I would disagree with that. There is always will be a different views on different, especially political views, but that Historically, Ukrainians were always fighting for that freedom, you know, that we never, the slavery trying to keep out. It's just that that's probably what brought me to the States, the way that my parents raised me. And uh, that's how this place became a second home for me. Looking for freedom and, and opportunity. Yep. And so, and help us pronounce your last name. Irklienko. <laughs> Oh, say it one more time. Irklienko. Irklienko. There you go. <laughs> okay. So that's Irina Ir Irklienko. Yep. And we also have Irina Lech Lechno. 
No, 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 I must not. I must well, not you kind of like right. spell it without K. Ah, so how would you how, how, like no? Cool. I have polished roots, I guess. Oh, okay. Um, well, tell us, introduce yourself uh, a little bit, and um, yeah, tell us about you. I was just listening to Irina, and now I feel like I didn't prepare well. <laughs> I didn't prepare at all. <laughs> That's okay. I'll throw questions at you. So my name is Irina. I'm originally from Kiev, the capital. I came here in 2018. I was J1. So I wasn't going to stay. So it, you know, originally it has to be like a three months program. I came here, you know, um, enjoy the experience and come back home. But 2022, today I'm here, and it's been four years. Um, three years ago, so like a year after my husband came here, um, you know, and we started just settle up the life in some sort of way. Um, so in contrary to Irina, let's say, right, uh, I went to Ukrainian speaking school. I was in the, you know, college or university. Everybody, all subjects were, um, professors were teaching in, yeah, in Ukrainian. And I never thought it's, it's going to be a problem, you know, in some way. Like, you can speak Russian and the person's going to answer Ukrainian or, you know, opposite. You can speak Ukrainian and the person's going to answer Russian. So, and in, you know, most of my family, they came from the Western kind of part of Ukraine. I don't like divided though. So people say like Western, Eastern and stuff. It just, it's Ukraine, right? So it's kind of feel weird when people start dividing. But anyway, um, my grandparents, um, my mom's grandparents, they're from the Western part of Ukraine. So they're like, you know, I'm a seven or sixth generation of Ukrainians, though I think I have Polish roots. Um, yeah, thanks. Um, so I think I, I want to ask, um, so all of, all of you have friends and families back in Ukraine, like would somebody like to just tell us a little bit about what's, you know, how all this has impacted their lives? Go ahead. Um, a number of my college friends um, stayed in Ukraine, again, because of the fact that we are from the central part and they haven't touched it that bad. There were a couple uh, bombardments, particularly the airports and one time the railway station, but it's relatively safe there. And that's where <clears throat> a lot of refugees who couldn't make to as far as Poland and Romania and Italy, they come to the central part. So majority of my friends are volunteers. Um, they are doing um, volunteer work, uh, helping the refugees, providing them housing, um, helping with the food. Um, um, I have a friend from Kiev. He is a psychologist, so that's what he's offering. He's doing online consultations because a lot of displaced children went through unbearable trauma. And it's something that is going to stay with them for the longest time. So that's what my friend is addressing. 
my other friend is one of the chief volunteers in Kirogorod, and probably if you've <clears throat> seen some of our Facebook pictures, Victoria uh, from Kirogorod, she organized the um, production of instant soups. And what they are doing, they are dehydrating the vegetables, add different spices to it, and they make uh, packages of uh, one, um, one portion or two portion soups where people just put the boiling water and turn it into the hot meal. So my student, um, you, she's also um, a part of some of the stories on Facebook, um, she's um, um, helping at the hospital uh, purchasing the medication that is needed because again, a lot of folks who come to Kirovograd, um, now it's Kropivnitsky, um, a lot of those folks do not have the means to purchase uh, med med medication. So that's what she's doing. She's doing fundraising um, activities uh, in order to purchase, to help pur purchase uh, medication. But yeah, majority of them stay. Mm. So, in, so in your part of the country, there's less immediate danger from the military side, but folks are helping out with refugees coming through. Exactly, exactly. Through. Uh, the, there is danger because you've probably seen the map about the um, alarm, or so to speak, um, uh, I'm thinking about the word. Airstrike. Yeah, uh, warning about the airstrikes. So a few days ago, You've probably heard what they did in Odessa. Uh, on Easter day, mm -hmm. our Easter was on Sunday. So on Easter, they uh, did the airstrike that hit the um, multi-storied building, the 16 floors, and they killed a couple civilians. The youngest one was a three-month-old baby and the mother. So that's what they did in Odessa on the Easter day. So that's why it's relatively safe because you don't know where the Russians are going to um, do their airstrike. And that's what they are doing. They couldn't do anything to the military. That's why their violence turns towards civilians. And they are shooting into um, civilians, buildings, um, art school, um, and then Kharkiv. A beautiful opera house is half destroyed, and uh, other civilian in infrastructure. So that's why, yes, relatively safe. And Irina, um, I maybe the same question for you. And I've also got, if you want me to show some yeah, of the pictures, sure. uh -huh. I'm happy sure. to. Um, can go through the pictures or like I mentioned Kharkiv right on the border with Russia and that they're trying to keep this is the pictures of my <laughs> yeah hometown. and so these are in no these are no particular order so they um, that's okay but yeah I'm, I've got several slides um, mm -hmm. that I can put so right, go ahead there's been uh, every time I talk to my mom I hear sirens going every single time I hear, or I get notifications on my phone constantly. February 24th, I woke up my parents, myself, saying, because it was 4.35 o'clock in the morning when they started shooting, and I woke up my parents and uh, tell them they need to get up and see what's gonna be their next move. 
first several weeks was very, very tough. My grandma is right outside of Kharkiv towards the Russian border, and that's been a nightmare because we did not talk to her for several weeks, and we got to talk to her for a week. Just, I don't know if you have that map that I show you, the life map that you can pull up, or if we don't even have to. But anyways, the um, she was is still under occupied territory. We haven't talked to her again for three weeks. And um, we do know that they have been, my grandma's home, the home right next to it, and two houses down were, were destroyed. Um, I don't know if I shared some pictures of my of the countryside with you, some videos, but um, this is that free, the very, uh, the picture is on the left, that's that Freedom Square. It's um, the main square. The main, of one of the biggest squares in Euro Europe and the second largest square in the world after Beijing. And um, that is like five minutes walk from my home. So every time I see a picture, one house, a video looks just like my house. And then there's, there's no words to describe those feelings. And I talked to some of my friends and 39-year-old uh, growing man told me almost with tears in his eyes saying that one thing seeing the pictures, knowing the streets that you walk, another thing walking those streets. And that just, why, what for, <coughs> it's, I've been yelling since day one when all, again, it goes back to that propaganda, mm -hmm. uh, Russian propaganda where they're saying it's a military objects they're trying to destroy, they feel, you know, threatened by Ukraine or whatever other ideas, NATO. yeah, or, or triggers they're trying to try the, their people to believe into. This yeah, is this is lies to people. This yeah. is home. This is people homes. There is yeah. apartment complexes. And that stuff. one is the administrative and, uh, building. The yeah. one of my uh, closest friend family. They're. His apartment got destroyed. He went to his parents' home. That uh, just happened last week. The missile landed right outside. It's a nine-story, uh, nine-entryway apartment complex. The, uh, it landed, the bomb exploded at the end of the home. They're on the other side, on the sixth floor. They lost all the windows. The frames were twisted, the window frames. And uh, they said it's about the dust and all that stuff left over from the explosion <coughs> three fingers on the furniture so i don't know it's it's, it's impossible the no they had to move to odessa and the day they moved to odessa the very next day they started shooting in Odessa. Mm -hmm. I was talking to my mom, and this is how people were hiding the very first day. In the basement. So when people say basement, and the sending of American basement, it's kind of, you know, <laughs> play no, it's like the cruel space. It's, it's, it's cruel space, it's a dirt hole, I call it. Mm -hmm. People slept in the dirt hole. Some of them, there's no water supplies, and week, week and a half after people decided not to hide out over there because there's a lot of people who would hide and they could not get out because people would not know they're there. There's no phone reception. And a lot we lost a lot of lives that way too because people didn't know to get to them or they couldn't get to them. And it's just having a nine-year-old looking at these pictures, it's, there's no words. Mm -hmm.
this is a picture of us trying to help and provide some um, for volunteers some protection. Uh, my classmates, my um, actually my friends. One of my university classmate husband, they were doing the parts for the car producing. They had a, their little plant or factory, and now they uh, started doing the life vest. And then they, uh, another of my friends, it's very interesting. Natasha mentioned uh, her friend who is making dehydrated soups. So week after I heard about her friend, I see my classmate delivering those soups and posting the video on the Facebook how those soups <laughs> were from Kapitnitsky, the town where her friend is at, which is not a huge town, you know, and how the people and kids are preparing those foods and it made it all the way in Ukraine and here we're on it's all around the world is round it's just we over here know each other the He's world is way smaller them. than we think that is very has true, always yeah. been so it's been mixed yeah look people getting creative you know you don't have time to waste you just get what you have look at that car they just took a window put a pole they have to have keep help you know the 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 lies with all that, the the spirit of all those people, when you're talking to them, ability with them to joke and knowing that you just need to get up and keep going, that's that's so inspiring. That's my mom on the very left. That's how uh, everybody's trying to. So this horse, this monument is looking at that Freedom Square. And on the very right, that's the story, the little picture of the video about those soups that he's telling everybody, thank you. <laughs> And that's how they were trying to protect. No. Um, that's my kid right there in the middle. Yeah, we went to <laughs> hold in the <laughs> Ukraine. Yeah. I mean, we went that's to in Denver. Yeah, in Denver. Yeah, to right at the very beginning. A rally. Yeah. So yeah, I think those are those are the pictures. Um, Irina, why don't you tell us if you like? So on the twenty fourth. First person I texted was actually Irina, I think. And I was like, I saw this video on YouTube, and it said like a few, you know, huge fires happening or something like that. And I now I don't remember what city was it. Um, and you know the other one and one before, and then I opened the chat, um, Telegram chat, right? So, and people were started, you know, started typing like, we, have, we hear the, you know, um, airstrikes and explosions and like, you know, in this area and that area and this. So I texted her and I was like, you know what, you should probably tell your parents to wake up and something happening. And then I called my parents and they were, you know, they were sleeping. And I'm like, you know, mom, something is happening. So why don't you like turn on the TV and look at the news? So the next morning, the president posted this video saying that the Russian Federation started the special operation, right? And my parents were at Kiev um, up to the March 11, I think. And all this, uh, the majority of this time, they were um, hiding in the bathroom or um, corridor, you know, hallway. 
because there is so there is a rule of two walls, right? That's what the government explained, like in Ukraine. So if you know there is a missile or something else, the two walls kind of supposed to protect, you know. Um, Main walls, the right, structure. The main walls, walls yeah. yeah, not the. And uh, once I think my mom called me and she was like, you know what just happened? I'm like, yeah, what what happened? I was like worried and scared, you know. And she's like, well, we just hear the fly jet over the house. So we just ran away in the bathroom and we fell down because they were thinking, you know, the, the fly jet's gonna start bumping and stuff, but thanks God nothing happened. Um, and I think two days or three days after that, I persuaded them to, you know, take whatever they think they need to and leave because they didn't want to leave, like, we, how we're gonna leave the house, the, you know, everything we have, like, everything that we've been working for so hard and stuff. And I'm like, you know what? I should probably not say that, but like, I don't care what happened to house, to apartments, to like car, whatever. You just pack your stuff, and thanks to God we have this opportunity to live because like, the other people, the majority of them, especially, um, Eastern Ukraine, they, they don't have this opportunity. They're just, you know, stuck, isolated, and they cannot leave because the cities are occupied. So, um, yeah, around like March 15th, I guess, they uh, leave and they went to Poland. The Polish people, it's just something, you know, incredible. They were very welcoming and uh, my parents were living in the kind of like a dormitory. Um, they were feeding them for free. They provided them with clothing, shoes, like everything. Um, what else? So the place I live, right, that's Kiev, the capital, and probably like 20 or 30 minutes um, away is Bucha. I'm pretty sure you all heard about it. Uh, most of my relatives, most of my family live down there. So I don't know if you could see that, but let's see. So that's... That's the very like. first town that they right. um, freed and when they were able to push them out and that's <coughs> where we saw the cruelty of the uh -huh. army and how they, what they were doing to the families and women. And that's only one out of very many. That's the one where, you know, that's the one we know. That one because of oh, okay. mm -hmm. it right there. So yeah, that's how it looks like. But not anymore. Sorry. No, no, that's fine. That's so yeah, the people just went up uh, the streets and they start cleaning that and you know now it looks nice, but still you can see the houses and the, the buildings, everything is ruined. So yeah. Um now the the thing that Natasha was telling to you about Odessa, I think today or yesterday, there were funerals of the 
whole family basically. Uh, the three months uh, kid, the grandma, and um, the mother. So I think the only who um, survived, yeah, was um, his husband. And the reason why uh, he just, you know, left home and he went uh, to buy some bread or something or milk in the mm -hmm. grocery store. And when he came back, you can imagine what, what he saw. So, yeah. So I imagine it was a pretty hard, a lot of people had, people who could leave, for example, had like very hard decisions about whether to, whether to stay or whether to go. Yeah. Well, as I said, like most of the people, like I have friends, they're in the Western Ukraine. They don't want to leave. Like, I'm like, are you guys planning to go somewhere else or like, you know, doing something? And one of my friends, she's like, no, I'm not leaving. Are you kidding me? I'm like staying. And I'm like, yeah, but like now it's kind of, you know, that's probably a bad word to say, but opportunity to, um, to move to another country because like, you know, so many countries are opening the doors, welcoming the refugees and as leaves and stuff. So, like, most of the people who were, again, it's probably a bad description of the situation, but most of the people who were dreaming all this year to go to Italy or, like, England, which is pretty closed country for Ukrainians, same as states, because you need visa. And to get it, you have to go through the, you know, six circles of health, whatever, like, basically. Well, that's, you know, that's kind of true, because, like, that's how I got the visa. I have like a line, 30 people in front of me. All of them has denial, has denials. All of them, like 30 people in front of me. And I'm going up to this window, you know, to talk to the immigration officer. And I'm like, whatever, like I have, you know, I don't expect anything. So, um, so yeah, anyway, all that people who were dreaming to move and emigrate and they had this great chance now, you know, but still, the, the biggest part of them, when everything happened, they're like, no, forget about it. I'm like staying, you know, what are you talking about? It's my home, my family is down there, my job, everything that we've been living for this 30 years of independence and, you know, so. I wanna comment on that. Out of 14 years living here, I have not been homesick as much as I have been in the past, what, 62 days now? Yeah. And then, uh, uh, yeah, everybody's saying when the world opened up all the doors to you, even for our president, yeah. you just want to stay home. Yeah, when you are an immigrant, it's um, it's um, like you are split in two. Uh, one part of your soul is always home, and um, we are lucky enough because in Estes Park we are welcome as immigrants. But the second part of your soul is always is um, always where you you came from, and and. I'm particularly um, sad and frustrated is because I feel like Russia is trying to destroy the DNA of my nation. It's not about not liking Zelensky in the office. It's about hating Ukrainians in general. The big fat lie that the Russian people are being fed is that the Ukrainians are Nazis, that Ukrainians have too much uh, military infrastructure and that Ukrainians want to be a part of NATO. 
So what does it have to do with what the nation wants, with what people of the independent country want? Like, why do you need to ask Putin's opinion about what you're doing? So, and that's what's particularly sad. Um, the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991. That's the choice, that's the historic choice uh, people made. And after that, every um, republic of the former Soviet Union is making its past, like your Georgia. So why Russia has to be in the way? Why people in power, they've been there for 23 years. You can imagine, right? People who live in the United States. Can you imagine having the president for 23 years? No. So why do we, why do we need to, to follow the will of somebody who is not um, adequate to what's going on? He is the former KGB agent. And what they say, once you are once a KGB, you are always KGB which means the mentality of the Cold War, you know, good guys, bad guys, spies everywhere. So why, do, why does the world have to tolerate somebody like that who lives in the past? So, but yeah, that's the point I was making. Um, they are trying to destroy the nation and they are try, uh, trying to scare the rest of the world saying that they will use the weapon of the mass destruction. So how does it sound in the 21st century, in the middle of historic Europe, that somebody is going to use the uh, nuclear button to, 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 to deliver the message? Um, to me, it sounds like somebody is out of the mind to do that. Disregard all the, you know, for the past memorandum when Ukraine destroyed all the nuclear weapons, and Russia was one of the countries who signed the promise to the enemy of our borders. And so, and all the other agreements that the world has created completely disregard using the missiles that the uh, conventions don't approve to use and all the weapons that are not, it's just very, very little. <laughs> Those poor individuals work for $10 a day, 
and they supply the whole world with the Chinese goods. So that's what they are trying to, to do. I, I feel the agenda is such like to put Ukrainians in slavery to follow the Russian will, so to speak. And do you think, um, were there, in your lives, like, do you, um, do you know a lot of Russians? Do you have relationships with many Russians and ties and how those yep. changed a as large, a result of uh, this? Yep, a large number, the most intelligent, nice people who understand that the government is doing wrong. They either left the country, uh, they changed jobs, where they, uh, you don't have to, uh, to have certain political affiliation to hold the job. Um, and they understand what's going on. But the problem in Russia is that um, media became so influential and so powerful to the point that I feel people do not read books and do not develop, uh, develop their own critical thinking. They, leave, they li live with TV. And um, in Russia, the majority of uh, TV channels is, um, st has to be state approved. Uh, the ones that are not, they are uh, few in number, and they were prohibited when the war started, and they were trying to get the alternative point of view. Probably you are familiar with the uh, interview that uh, Medusa and Echo and a couple others independent ones um, tried to interview our president, and there were five journalists who stepped ahead and did that and had a wonderful uh, talk about two hours. So next day, the um, censorship department of the Russian government prohibited citating the president and prohibited the interview to go public, um, which, of course, they um, didn't listen and um, went ahead and did that. So they, they, they closed their channels. So, and I know one journalist from Medusa moved to Georgia so mm -hmm. that they can still have access to public. And um, it's the problem of um, uh, lack, lack of alternative points of view and uh, too much propaganda. It feels like a lot of people live in the TV and all you hear on TV is the government point of view with no alternative given. With Russian population being, what, 145 million, about two-thirds still support, idealize, worship Putin in uh, one-third of the country. And there is, there's people like that everywhere. I know a decent amount of Germany also thinks that Putin doing the right thing, maybe, and there is people in the world out there. But I, I do believe right now, that's my personal thing, at this point it's a choice. I do know people, I have my classmates who moved to Russia, not one, several of them, and I don't know, well, I believe number one is a fear, mm -hmm. and, and, and I don't know if it's a just fear for your life or is it a fear of freedom. I kind of give that an example, I think I told probably many people over here, if you take a hamster out of and let him outside, it's not going to survive more than five minutes. And I think that when you give people freedom, they don't know what to do with themselves. Or you take a person who spent 15 years in prison, they don't, they usually go back or they just cannot make it out here. So there's very many factors to that, but I think 
TV is number one thing, but I do know there is access out there, and you can get access if you want. So I have talked to some of my friends, and they get, they can get Ukrainian news, and they can see what truly is going on, and what I've been kind of screaming all the time from everything that started. If you want to see what's going on in Ukraine, ask a Ukrainian who has the facts. And the pictures that I show is I know people. This doesn't come from the news, from the screen. This is streets that I walked, I know how they looked before, and I know how they look now, and uh, this is true facts. Yeah, I just remember I have my, um, my, my college friend's grandma, she lives in Crimea, right? And Crimea was occupied in 2014. And all this time her grandma was, you know, she was living down there, um, going to job and doing all her stuff. And then on the, I think on the 25th, her grandma texted her and she was like, I didn't do anything wrong, I love you. But at the same time, she refused to admit what's happening. So she was like, you know, why you guys like, um, like screaming at me and all this stuff. I don't, I don't know anything. It's like, it's not me, it's all America. And, you know, all that stuff. So at some point they just stopped talking to her, uh, my friend and her family, which is probably not the best option, but from the other point of view, like what else you can do? I mean, at some point you can tell, persuade, you know, beg and do all the possible stuff. But like, if she thinks that's this way, there is no chance you can, you know, tell her no, it's like the other one. And it's, it's, you know, all over around, it, and that's just one example. Because most of the Ukrainian people, they have relatives and friends, you know, on the other side in Russia. Mm -hmm. And like when you call them, uh, there was a popular video in the internet. Um, so there is this couple, they own a couple uh, restaurants in Kiev, popular one, Chinese and um, Japanese. And his dad, he's from uh, Moscow, I think. And he recorded the mom and he's calling his dad and he's from Moscow, right? And he's like, well, dad, you know, your country's bombing us. And it's recorded, you can, you know, search it in the internet. And his dad like, Misha, what are you talking about? It's like, are you joking? No, it's, it's impossible. And he's like, well, you can you can hear you can hear the airstrikes and you know, fly jets and you know everything. And he's like, no, that's probably TV working in the background and like. So. And for and for you all, um, how are you getting? Like, are you able to? Well, Irina, you mentioned that you were out of touch with um, my grandma, but I'm able to talk to my parents. Oh, okay. And so word gets back to you them so there's no power when my grandma is at so we know she's okay but there is they have one generator they don't have any fuel so mm -hmm. they charge one person in the village charges the phone he calls his daughter and then that daughter calls everybody around knowing just letting everybody know that everybody's okay um, and right. they but yeah there is no so we know my grandma is okay but um, how is she okay? We know the house is destroyed. Like, what is she doing? We know at some point she used to live with um, 
neighbors and then she went back I know somebody mentioned that she's looking how she can fix the ceiling and the pipes froze so it's just parts and pieces and then we've tried to put it together try to get a better <clears throat> picture but at least we get once a week or once every three days that she's alive she needs food for cats there's no way to get there because that territory was occupied and then after they leave they mine everything so before the, they go and try to unmine and find everything they, they don't let anybody go so it must be a very a really helpless feeling to be here while that's the worst feeling that i've ever experienced probably in my life <laughs> being helpless not when you want to run all right folks well that is the interviews for today i strongly encourage all of you to go check out the rocky mountain deli fundraiser events that are happening wednesday starting at 11 a.m and they go until they're pretty much done with the food i went ahead and made a modest donation uh using just some of the membership funds from the switchblade uh it wasn't much, but I, I gave what I could, and um, I really want to encourage the rest of you to do the same. So I hope you're okay with me using membership funds like that, but uh, I thought it was important. All right, well, that's the episode for today. Again, I want to thank my uh, sponsors, the Real Mountain Theater and the Historic Park Theater. And uh, yeah, hopefully later this week, I'm, I'm working on an interview with uh, Randy Silkwood of the Reframed Podcast. He's also a podcaster here in the Estes Park area and uh, just talking about the rise of a podcast. I've got another, uh, I'll have some updates. I did get some more Quora releases, Colorado Open Record X releases from the school district. Nothing too substantial, just, just pieces, bits and pieces that kind of help uh, fill in some of the details surrounding the events. And man, I've had a ton of people just reaching out to me. Um, so I'm listening to what they're having to say about things, seeing what they've got to show me and uh, still piecing that together. Um, also working on another possible story, not related to the district, but related to uh, something that happened at the school. We'll see if that pans out. I don't want to say anything more on that yet, but um, had some some uh, parent reach out to me about a situation going on there. Anyway, uh, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for once again joining me here on the Colorado Switchblade. As always, I'm Jason Van Tatenhoek. Thanks for listening.